0: This is the Mayor Greg Fisher Podcast. I'm Graham Shelby. I work in the mayor's office. We launched this podcast so we could dig deeper into subjects that matter to the future of our city. We've got two topics this week we're going to explore today in two different segments. The first, public art. At last week's Idea Festival, our public art commission was there and asked people for suggestions for new public art projects for the city. Let's hear some of their ideas. My name is Amos Griffith and I go to DeSales High School. I would say like through public art, the story I would tell is like how the community and how strong we are together, like if we work together and like how we persevere through stuff.
1: Skylar Hutchison. My answer was empowered women. I'd like to you know, see more things about women. I feel like that would be really nice to look at. (laughs) Um, I think it would be really cool if it was like women of different races and they were like linked by arms. I think that would look really nice and I think it would give off the vibe of like peace and and togetherness. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Nigel Blackburn. I go to D.C.S. High School. I would just like to create something that everybody can see as like as great like to where people won't be divided on whether or not it they think it's good or it's bad what like but rather Good for everybody, just to see and represent us as a uh, like as people. My name is Evie, and I am a PhD student at the University of Louisville. Um, and I think our arts and our monuments should highlight the non-celebrities of Louisville. So great teachers, great scientists. Um, I think Louisville does a really good job of letting people know like who the famous people are from our town, but we don't do a super great job of highlighting the amazing people that live here or that have gone on to do other amazing things, and so through, I think, you could have like some really cool like multimedia um, interaction walls, like highlighting different teachers and that could change as different things happen, or you could have different sculptures highlighting different scientists or like different authors or poets and i think it would just be a way to help bring light to the different culture and diversity that we have in louisville and um, show like who we actually are
0: at the mayor's office we're always looking to find new ways to address the challenges and opportunities we have here in louisville and in addition to talking with citizens we do that by looking around and seeing how other cities work What lessons are there for us in their experiences? And that applies whether it's jobs and economic development, education, innovation, or how a city responds to unexpected public tragedy. That topic is on everyone's minds this week after the mass shooting in Las Vegas. It was also on our minds, along with other subjects, when Mayor Fisher recently did a live on-stage interview with Mayor Mike Rawlings of Dallas, Texas. Mayor Rawlings is the former CEO of Pizza Hut. He became mayor of Dallas in 2011 And in this conversation, they talk about the difference between working as a leader in government versus business, how to improve the economy in neglected neighborhoods, and Mayor Rawlings tells his story about the night of July 7th, 2016. That's when five Dallas police officers were assassinated. Mayor Rawlings also talks about the time he awkwardly held the hand of the President of the United States. This was recorded in the Mayor's Gallery in Metro Hall. Here's Mayor Fisher.
2: Thanks everybody for coming out here this morning. We've got uh, a really interesting great American leader to speak to today, and I'm gonna formally read his uh, bio. I'm proud to welcome to Louisville one of America's great mayors. He comes to us from Dallas, but you're gonna hear just a slight bit northeast in his voice. Mike Rawlings was born in Borgia, Texas, but graduated from Boston College where he was on a football scholarship there. He had a very successful business career, first in advertising, then as the CEO of Pizza Hut. That's one reason he's been to Louisville many times before when Pizza Hut was still owned by Yum. During his time in office, Dallas experienced really impressive economic growth. The city of Dallas property tax base has reached an all-time high of $118 billion. Unemployment there is under 4% and Dallas, as we all know, is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the nation. So please welcome the mayor, Mike Rawlings here.
3: I would have uh, come if I'd known that uh, a lot faster. If you'd known me, uh, introduced me as one of America's great
2: leaders. I,
3: that, that's a that's a cool introduction. Well, <laughs> I'm
2: not sure that's true, but thank you. Well, no, it is, and you, and you showed that. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit more into the interview here. But uh, what Mike and I kind of connected early on because there's not a lot of people in the United States Conference of Mayors that have uh, business background, entrepreneurship background, that are mayors as well. So we're one of the to that have that so tell us about that in terms of your transition from the business world to public service and what kind of skills and mindset changes have you had to do in, in that transition
3: well it was a big decision for me as it was for you because uh... you we, we don't appreciate uh... at times living in privacy uh... and Doing what you want to do and not having to uh, uh, make sure you say the exact adjective, uh, you know, in front of something, or you know, being very thoughtful. It's a little more freewheeling and and you get to do your own thing. And so, when you decide to do that, suddenly uh, you kind of—I I don't know about you, but I, I felt I lost my 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 identity a little bit. I, I became a thing, and not a person. You know, I became a. Uh, a mayor, uh, a, a thing to be courted, a, uh, had to make the right decision, uh, important part of uh, America and the city. Um, but it was it suddenly your, your whole psychology is a little bit different having that, that title in front of you. Uh, people wanted you to come to things, but it wasn't because of Mike Rawlings. It was because you were the mayor. And then now you were the housekeeping, good housekeeping seal of approval on that. Um, in many ways, it was uh, much easier for me to come into the mayor's position because I had run uh, organizations. Um, and I think organizational management is very similar you know, across uh, public and private sector. It's about leadership and leadership not just in kind of uh, pontificating, but organizing, choosing the right people setting the right goals, setting the agendas, measuring those things, all the things you learn yeah. as, as, a, as a business leader. Um, and if, you, uh, um, if you're gonna be successful, you have to do those things and you have to do them well. Or they're the basic blocking and tackling of organizational management. What was different was, I don't know if it's true for you, but I, I felt in business, you were inch wide and a mile deep. You knew everything about your industry, you knew everything about your business, you knew every employee, you knew the pricing on every item, the cost on every item, the distribution of every item. And now suddenly, you go wide. You know, you're a mile wide and an inch deep because you can't, there's not enough hours in the day to um, have that sort of depth of um, personal interaction uh, and personal knowledge of the thing. You've got you've you've got to, probably not everything's an inch deep, you've got to choose your battles and you've got to go deep on those things. But that was a little bit different, a uh, mentality for me because uh, I spent a lot of my time learning uh, that sector and learning that business, whatever I was in. Um, but it has helped me, uh, be more patient, we were talking about that last night. It really helped me there, and, and I think it humbled me a lot. Uh, to, and, and the experience of being a mayor is so much more human uh, than than being a business person. I mean, uh, I always try to treat people with humanity, um, but uh, uh, here you just see so many people in the interactions. Yeah.
2: So Mayor Rawlings can run for two terms, He's uh, more than halfway through his second term right now, so you got about a year and a half left in yes. office, is that correct? Yes, you uh-huh. So uh, you were uh, you know, CEO of Pizza Hut, large company, thousands and thousands of units ar- around the world. Uh, you retired from there and had a decision to make. Do you go back into business? Do you just do nothing? Do you just go play golf like some of these people do? Uh, you made a very different decision. <laughs> You apparently had a call for public service and now are in the spotlight. You are all in. Tell us, how did you go through that process? Why did you make that decision?
3: Well, a little, it was aided a little bit because my golf game is not very good. (laughs) You know, I'm one of those golfers that you, excuse me, I can't even see you guys over there, sorry, that uh, you uh, play golf and you go, why do I play this game, you know? So um, I had, when I left Pizza Hut, I, joined a friend of mine and we created a little private equity firm investing in small to mid-sized businesses and I did that for a little while, but uh, once you operate something, you've got that itch and, and, and so the question was, uh, was I going to run, you know, we're we going to buy a company and run it, or was I going to go back to that sector? And I had it always felt that um, I needed to do my tour of duty that was a term you used last night, and I thought it was good. I, I'd never served in the military, um, and the, the United States and Dallas was very good to me, and so I needed to give back, so I, I did a few things. My first entree into that was being um, the homeless czar. We had a, a, a major homeless issue in the city of Dallas, and we'd never really coordinated activity, so the, the mayor made me the homeless czar, which is the most bizarre title I've ever heard. Um, and I, I started to kind of get involved with it and felt good about how I spent my time. So, I wasn't, my first drink at the fountain was was kind of a positive one. Uh, when the mayoral elections had come up, uh, I had gotten a few calls uh, from people. Um, not a, there wasn't a groundswell, you know, for me to run or anything, but... A few people that I respected uh, called me, and Dallas had a tradition of uh, business individuals taking their time in the barrel to help lead the city. Uh, Our biggest uh, uh, moment was probably right after JFK uh, assassination in 1963, and uh, a gentleman by the name of Eric Johnson who started Texas Instruments um, came in and he, the things he did were remarkable. And so we've had a series of, of those. So it was like, hey, it's your turn to get in there. And I had a real seminal moment in my life and in my decision path because I was pretty sure I wasn't going to do that because I did want to improve my golf game and I did want to travel with my wife and do some of the things. Uh, and my son was in the car. We were in Colorado. He was uh, at the final years of... of uh, his college, and I had always told he was—he thought he was, you know, hot stuff—and I was always telling him, "It's not about him. It's about, it's about us. It's about we. It's about your team. It's about sacrifice and all this stuff. And if you're going to do that, you'd be, you know, that's the way you become a, a great and virtuous man, and and you do all this stuff." So the guy was talking to me, "You got to run. You got to run. You got to run." And I said, "Tom, I don't think so." It's not the right time for me in my life. I just want to take a deep breath. And I hung up the phone and I said, you know what, this is a great moment to have a, we're gonna be driving for another hour and a half to have a good conversation with my son. And I said, Gunner, um, I said, give me some advice. And I said, no, 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 don't give me some advice. I said, tell me what I should ask myself, okay? What should I ask myself to determine whether I should run, because it's not the answers usually, it's the questions you ask. And he thought for a very long time, okay, which is, you know there's something weird happening when the kids that <laughs> think that long, you know, because most of the time it's like this. And he thought for a long time, and he looked at me, and he says, Dad, I would ask myself, what would the virtuous man do? Well played. <laughs> and, <laughs> well played, exactly. And at that point, I knew I was toast. Yeah. You know, It was like, oh, it's coming back to bite me here a little bit. And so at that moment, I really started seriously thinking about it, and I thought that was the right question, you know, that it's, it's about your life, about becoming everything that you want to become in this world and how you interact with it. And that's a pretty good metric of being... Uh, I had given him a book on... Uh, on uh, one of the Roman Stoics and, and, and about virtuosity and so he threw that back at me. So I'll never give him another book. Yeah. Well, I'd say that was a good question, huh? <laughs> so that's what I decided and then I started to do that and then I, uh, a good friend of mine who had been mayor and was, has, was the US Trade Ambassador um, under President Obama told me, he says, Mike, you cannot be pushed into politics. You have to jump and he's right, so I never felt, it was a hard jump, it was like bungee jump, you know, and, uh, but I knew it'd be okay, but it's still a long way down there, there's a lot of thrills that go with it, but I jumped, and I'm so glad I did.
2: Yeah, well, you've been doing a great job, and so tell us a little bit about your council, you know, we've got 26 council members here, we merged our city and county government uh, 14, 15 years ago, uh, how's Dallas set up and how's your interaction with the We're
3: council? a little different. First of all, I'd like to merge our city and county. Uh, I think we'd be a lot more efficient and effective for our citizens. Um, our county takes care of uh, our jail, our public hospital, um, which is a big o- oversight, um, and uh, some public health issues. Uh, it was, we had a, I don't know if you remember, but we had the first case of Ebola in the United States and it was a very awkward thing working with the county um, and the city um, uh, in that process. But we got through it, I got a good we call them county judges kind of the CEO over there and we worked well together when we got through that. So that's a little bit different system. We also have uh, you've got a strong mayor system here uh, we've got what's called a weak mayor system um, and, or a strong city manager system uh, where we have 14 council members and the mayor, uh, I set the agendas, uh, I make appointments, I um, speak for the city, uh, set strategy, um, but the city manager reports to all 15 of us, that, and we we hired a city manager. So uh, at times it's not as efficient, I think, as it should be, should be and could be, and for me as a mayor. Uh, it uh, every every you know day you spend uh, doing that system is probably like a day and a half of uh, of real time. I mean it, it's it's a lot harder, but you know for Dallas it was I think an important thing to do. As I look at history, I'm a supporter of that system for historical reasons. Uh, we had a we were a very segregated city, and we um, had kind of uh, at large seats, mm. and and that democratization of the city council was a seminal moment where individuals really uh, and communities felt empowered for the first time. And now they feel equal to the mayor, which I don't think is a bad thing. And by the way, there are some of them that have been terrible, okay? Um, and some of them have been good, but. That's what you do as a community. You, you, you learn from your mistakes, you, you get other people elected, you move the process along, you take ownership for things, and we come out of it a lot better versus um, an at-large seat um, that uh, kind of really dictates you know, everything. So um, a little bit of a bigger pain uh, for me, but I think it's a, it's a healthy thing.
2: So the nation got to know you and Chief Brown in July of 2016, I guess this will be for as long as you're alive people are going to be asking you about this when uh, police officers were uh, killed, assassinated uh, on the streets of Dallas. Can you uh, walk us through kind of where you were, how you found out about it, how you started processing that? Both emotionally, and then from your job as, as the mayor of the city, and how all that moved forward. You all did an incredible job in a very very difficult circumstance.
3: Thank you, and thanks for coming um, that uh, that day and supporting us. Um, <coughs> I had had a tough spring um, that year. Uh, there were a lot going on. There was a lot going on, and so I was going to try to dial it down in July. Uh, my first uh, uh, attempt at that was to take uh, uh, the July 4th weekend and go up to Colorado with my, uh, my, my nieces and their kids, kind of have a Christmas in July sort of thing. So we did. At the same time, my mother-in-law, who had lived with us for, for years and years, was close to dying, uh, and we didn't expect her to die at that moment but she was getting on, and but we decided to go ahead for the weekend. Long story short, she dies on July 4th, and we're out of town, okay? And it was just a, a heartbreaking experience for my wife, and we flew back, and, and so that week was really mourning for her, and on July 7th was her um, funeral, and we buried her in a little grave in a uh, church in the woods out in East Texas, drove back, and I was kind of spent. I really was. uh, Just emotionally and physically, and uh, took off my clothes and put some shorts on and made myself a tuna fish sandwich and turned on the baseball game. And uh, about 20 minutes later, my assistant calls me and says, uh, turn on the TV. And there's something happening, and I said, "Well, I we got it on." I switched it over, and sure enough, uh, they didn't know what had happened, but uh, reporters were were going every place. I immediately called our chief, and he had just heard that two officers had been killed, and several others were on the way to the hospital. Uh, and so, at that point, I knew that uh, all hell was going to break loose, um, and Jumped in some different clothes for the night and got back. I told him I'd meet him down at, uh, at City Hall, so we met down there. And what ensued was really about <coughs> uh, six or seven hours of just a surrealist experience. Um, we're in the the emergency center. He's on the on the uh, uh, the walkie-talkies with his uh, his officers. Uh, front and center and, and time after time he came over and said we have lost another one yeah. and every time he did it was uh, you know another uh, stab in the in the back and the pain was terrific um, and we had to d- make some some decisions on what to do and we fortunately we kind of divided and conquered he he was the command officer in deciding what was going to be taking place down there and then I, my decisions were really about the public, how, what we we're gonna say, how we we're gonna say it, and there was a lot of um, information, bad information on the, on, in the news, uh, so we needed to correct some of that. So we, may, we caused some of the bad information. One of the issues that we faced was in Texas, you can have open uh, carry with long rifles, okay? And so there were a lot of protesters. I said a lot, there were probably half a dozen protesters in, in that night uh, with long rifles. So, when someone gets shot, you know, who do you go detain? <laughs> you detain the people with the guns. And so, um, our o- officers did that, and we tracked those folks down. And, and so, they got all upset because they're not the ones that shot anybody. And we had to kind of go through that process. We decided to have press conferences when we had them. I learned through the Ebola thing that more information is better and and every uh, um, a minute you can get quicker in front of uh, the public, the better they feel about it. Um, so I just decided that we would have uh, press conferences. The governor had called. Um, uh, the president was in Europe, so he didn't call me till three in the morning, uh, but, uh, Valerie Jarrett called, you know, the, you have to deal with that side of it too, you know, people kind of reaching out to you. And so we uh, decided to, uh, we had a couple of press conferences, but then we decided we needed to go see the families. We knew five were dead and we had to get to the hospitals. So uh, we did that. Meanwhile, the bad guy was still uh, cornered in uh, a um, um, one of our uh, community college, uh, classrooms um, and we knew we were trying to talk him out of it. Uh, long story short, okay, I mean uh, uh, parense for a second, the the uh, lead officer in the SWAT uh, detail who was talking to the guy who was telling mm-hmm. us that he wanted to kill white cops uh, is currently on my detail and protecting me and he's just, I've gotten to know him and his story and how that all happened. Um, he had, uh, the guy had wanted a, uh, um, a cell phone. And so he said, we'll send a cell phone back to you in this machine. And sure enough, when they sent it back to him, uh, it didn't have a cell phone on it, it had an explosive device and killed him. And that's how we took him down. When we were going to the hospitals, Chief was in the process of making the decision whether we were going to uh, uh, take uh, this, this man down that way we talked about it he said let's go for it and uh, it was the right thing to do then we had the morning process and so we had a morning process that whole night a really important moment for us was i decided at two o'clock that morning that we needed to have a prayer vigil uh, at what we call thanksgiving square it's a little place it's a place for reflection uh, at noon the next day so you can imagine. What the, and I, I said, Chief, I know this is gonna be stressful, but I think this is what we need to do. And he says, absolutely, we'll have it protected and stuff. So now the officers have to shift from mourning to protecting again. Right. And uh, it was great. We had a lot of uh, uh, religious leaders there and, and uh, the people from all over the place It was packed. And we, so we did that. Then we went through the mourning process uh, publicly and we got the call from the president that he wanted to have an event uh, on Monday, um, and we needed to start working with the Secret Service and his uh, folks, the one that you came to, and we had to pull that off. So, as I was saying in the office, these things happen. You better be prepared to, to know who to call and how to pull things together and, and, and make it happen. But all this, you know, at times you go, why are we doing all this? But you, you realize that you are a touch point, the city is a touch point to the rest of the rest of the city, state, the country, the world, and you better do it right because they want to feel those things. So when we were finishing the ceremony and we had the choir uh, sing Battle Hunt of the Republic, and uh, it just felt right, and, and I, I'll always remember this from wherever I live, I'm standing there with my wife and uh, they were singing and all of a sudden I feel this hand grab my hand uh, and it was the President of the United States holding it and we held hands for a long time. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of weird, you know? <laughs> you're sitting there and you're singing that song and you realize, all right, this is what this country needs is that connectivity.
2: Yeah, that no, was it beautiful moment for the country we we're talking about the parallels between that and what we did during the Ali week here and mm-hmm. Ali's passing was sad but it turned into a week of celebrating a wonderful man's life and you guys had to deal with tragedy and you did it in such a such a beautiful way Chief Conrad was down for the event Thank as you. well but let's switch a little bit to uh, some of the uh, challenges that you have uh, as a city there's some general parallels between southern Dallas and West Louisville here in our town So tell us a little bit about your Grow South initiative.
3: Well, first of all, from a contextual standpoint, we're a tale of two cities. We're a very rich city. Uh, Someone told me we have 15 billionaires living in the city, Okay, That doesn't count the half billionaires. I mean, you know, it just there's a lot of money. But on the other hand, we are the number one city with children growing up in poverty. 34% of our children grow up in houses at the poverty level. And we've got all this wealth. And so as we kind of deal with the issue that I think that weighs on my heart every day, this gap between the haves and the have nots in our city and in America, um, if we don't deal with this issue, it is a train wreck coming at us. And this country will be torn apart like there's no tomorrow. Well, I just decided to do, uh, did a couple things, but one of my initiatives, and the, really the reason I I, I ran for mayor, the, the the logical reason, it wasn't just my son, but what can I do? You know, you got to feel like you can do something, and North Dallas was going to be fine. Okay, we were going to find a lot of businesses were growing to our suburbs, the north, and a lot of people lived in North Dallas, and we were going to continue to be fine. Downtown Dallas was actually pretty close to the tipping point and enough had been done. We weren't at the tipping point yet. We are now and it's it's just remarkable what's happened in downtown Dallas. But I, I said, you know what? I bet somebody else can get it to the tipping point. But nobody was really focused on southern Dallas. And just to give you a sense, southern Dallas is about 55% of our land mass. Im- imagine Dallas being a big clock, little Salvador Dali clock probably a little <laughs> uh, 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 tall. But, um, and, and, is in southern Dallas, but it's only 15% of our tax base. It's the most beautiful part of our city by far. It's the oldest part of the city, the hills. We've got the largest urban forest in the United States is in the city of Dallas. Um, So it's really gorgeous. Um, But it had been seen as a place where you really didn't hang out and you definitely didn't uh, um, bring business to. And so what I tried to change was a mindset for Southern Dallas that Southern Dallas was an investment opportunity not a charity case. Because so many people saw, well that's where the poor people live, isn't that? We need to kind of do a you know Habitat for Humanity home and help build those homes. Okay, which is great. I'm not being critical of that. That's not what we needed. We needed economic revitalization. And so I created a business plan, being a business person, called Grow South. That had a ten-part business. It had a ten-part plan. Uh, it had uh, everything from what we called a, uh, we had strengthening neighborhoods to a culture of clean. I kept preaching. I said, Look, money will not come to dirty places. It's got to look good. You know, we've got to make sure these houses, these uh, crack houses, are torn down. We've got to make sure code is enforced. We got to make sure our streets are in the right place. And, and then we talked about schools and we talked about other things. We talked about the whole issue of capital. Uh, banks would only loan 50% in Southern Dallas where they'd loan 80% in North Dallas and downtown. And so we created a, um, a private investment fund uh, for mezzanine capital uh, uh, debt financing uh, called Grow South Fund. Went and raised $35 million of private money to sit alongside to be able to do that, so we've been working on this for the last six years, and it's been fun because there has been a lot of progress. Um, it's sometimes, in certain part of the cities, people would sit here and say nothing's happened in my part of the city. So I, I, I want to tell that side of the story too. But to me, metrics are everything. You've got to look at and uh, look at the numbers and see if you've made progress, and. Uh, for the first time this year, Southern Dallas grew faster than the rest of the city, okay? And it ne- that had never happened. Uh, we've got, we've created over a, a, a billion and a half more uh, value in Southern Dallas than when we did before. And different, uh, we had different people have bought major shopping centers that had gone to hell in a handbasket. Those things are starting to happen, and this is a long run, right. okay? And the, we also have the issue of gentrification, okay? I mean that comes up, and uh, uh, you know the G word is a very dangerous word in a lot of people's minds, and you know so it's like well we need to bring the grocery stores, and we don't want gentrification, so now we have a housing, housing issue because property values go up, so you're dealing with that, but I think it's it's you don't have any choice, you've got to grow and you've got to keep pushing that forward, so uh, I'm. uh, the most important thing, I'm sorry, about about Grow South and in, in this effort, is not only the numbers, but the awareness of Southern Dallas now and North Dallas. I mean, people didn't even understand where places were, and now I've got people interacting, and now we're becoming a much more um, mobile city. We were able to take a land dump, believe it or not, an old land dump that the city had to um, clean up, uh, and we'd cleaned it up many years ago, but uh, we hadn't cleaned all the, the, the dirt up, and we've turned it into a PGA um, a course, and we're moving the AT&T Byron Nelson, is gonna p- be played there next year, in southern Dallas, from Irving, and Jordan Spieth is the, m- is the lead member, and in, 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 uh, his, uh, his uh, uh, coach is the teaching pro there, And it is the best course in Dallas now, in southern Dallas. And no one would have ever imagined that happened. So little wins like that, I think, change a mindset.
2: Great. Hat tip to the uh, current PGA champion. I know, you're right here in your hometown. (laughs) That's right.
3: Exactly right. (laughs) I I was thinking about you last week, and I said we've got, uh, they're good friends. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's fun to
2: see those young guys getting after it. Uh, Texas, boy, Texas political situation. You guys have got some deep... (laughs) Republican red politics going on, but when you take a look at the mayor of San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, Houston—blue cities, Democrats there. What talk a little bit about the dynamics that take place in your state? Well, you know, Texas is unique for a lot
3: of reasons, but there's this, this, this kind of Sam Houston macho ness uh, that is kind of. You start. You buy a home in Texas, and suddenly you start drinking the water, and you start to feel it. I, 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 I was uh, was talking to somebody who's going to be the chair of my uh, uh, Confederate statue committee, uh, and she'd come from Boston, African American lady, and uh, from Boston, and uh, very, very well read and intelligent. And she goes, "I didn't get this. You know, it was like they were singing these Texas songs and." I said, these are crazy people down here. And she says, I get it now, okay? <laughs> she, she's, she's part of it, you, so, so you already have that sense. I don't know if it's a chip on her shoulder or whatever, but there's this, this sense that we're gonna do things a little bit different, a little more independent. And then you put the Tea Party in, you put a dose of that Tea Party stuff in, which is government is bad, just fundamentally. We need to all be kind of free and independent Uh, And then you put the the decades of gerrymandering that has happened in the state of Texas, which is just traditional kind of Democrat-Republican politics. Democrats gerrymander the way they want to and Republicans, and it's a dangerous issue for America. Uh, There is no question to me that it's a big issue. You put that in place, and suddenly you have a, a real potential for a major explosion, and I think that's what's happened. Uh, in our in our state house, we've had a governor and a lieutenant governor that advocated uh, for the bathroom bill, basically to, in my mind, discriminate uh, against transgender individuals. Which, by the way, you, you go, why are we even fighting about this? We've never had one complaint about this at all, not one thing. But this was a this is a litmus test sort of thing. Um, they decided to. Um, uh, limit how much we can raise revenues through property taxes. Uh, property taxes is going up, and they're going to put a cap on us to limit us there. Uh, uh, limit us there, uh, and then they they had a uh, they passed a bill. Both those two bills failed. By the way, I should I should stop and not miscommunicate. And then one that has has told uh, all of our chiefs that they cannot tell are police officers to uh, check for citizenship. So for the first time, uh, police officers can go and say, prove to me you're a citizen, Mm -hmm. which is a very chilling effect. We, We have so many Latinos in our community and we're trying to kind of drive crime down and do all those sort of things, so it's really tough. So besides that, they are wanting to limit anything the cities can do in regards to tree ordinance and zoning issues and plastic bags and eco things. So all this stuff, okay
2: you're hitting home here but yeah,
3: <laughs> Well they're, they're trying to say we'll make that decision for you. you right. can't do any of it okay right. which is fundamentally I think a mistake. i have you know been involved with a lot of big organizations and I always find the most effective group are the small groups that are on the ground in that place making decisions with some policy but empower them to be entrepreneurial. And um, uh, our, our Republican brethren aren't like that. Meanwhile, cities are becoming more Democratic, there's no question, I don't like it necessarily. I'm a Democrat, but I'm, I don't want it to be a Democrat Republican thing, but as um, You get more population. I think people are more sensitive to people's needs and they kind of tend to go that way. So we've got a little bit of a standoff here. Um, I think it's bad for the state of Texas. I'd bet against Texas if we don't resolve that because uh, the the school systems are gonna be hurt, Uh, uh, roads, there's gonna be a lot of issues. Fortunately, we have one Republican guy that is the Speaker of the House that is a, pretty moderate Republican, uh, you know, in Texas, and he wants to do what's right by, I think, the, the state, and we've been able to kind of cross aisles and, and work together.
2: Perfect. Here we are, uh, post-Charlottesville. Boy, it was a been a really active and uh, traumatic time for our country since a week ago, Saturday, and many cities around the country are, are struggling with uh, Monuments, statue issues here. We moved our big Confederate statue about a year ago, thankfully. And, but we're still identifying any public art associated with that. So that will be a process for us. So anything going on in Dallas? <laughs> yeah, I've been uh, uh,
3: spending a lot of my time doing this. You know, um, I had probably made the mistake of slow rolling this issue a year or two ago. Uh, This issue, I knew it was coming. I'd ask a city council, an African-American city council person to lead the effort, and he really just, he got in the middle of a campaign, didn't do anything about it, and and, uh, it kind of uh, uh, just set on the sidelines a little bit. But I knew it was going to pop up again, so this summer I got public and said that we need to figure out what to do with these, and I'm, I think these are, symbols of slavery and are dividers and probably they need to go. But I think we need to uh, uh, do, uh, you know, do it in a kind of an organized and thoughtful way. And I felt we were kind of moving in that direction in the right way. And, and remember, my form of government is a little bit different than yours. Um, and, and the city was divided, not over well, some people would say it was racial issues and the fact that they didn't appreciate what the Civil War had done, but a lot of the discussions were intellectual in nature. It wasn't, it wasn't rancor. It was like, think about it this way or that way. It was fascinating. Well, when I turned on TV and saw those torches, okay, um, standing up for that statue, I knew this was a this was game set and match. Okay, that people were not. Now they personalize those statues. It wasn't this, thi- you know, piece of public art that had a historical context. It was the thing those guys were for, mm-hmm. and I'm against those guys. So these have got to come down. And it, it has happened like that. It shows you the power of a visual. And then our president, you know, doubles down and, and doesn't deal with it in the, the right way. He doesn't he doesn't speak the truth about this issue, equivocates. Um, and so now there's so much emotion. So we are, we are in the process of tearing them down. They're, they're gonna uh, get down. One of them is very complex. It's deep into the ground, and it's, it's, it's gonna cost us millions of dollars to remove these things, um, but it still has to be done. What I have done, and it's, it's we've got a little bit of a division. Uh, there's some folks that, that don't like what I'm doing now, but I think I'm, uh, I think we're going to power through this and, and, and get everybody on the same page. I'm a big believer that my job, I don't know how you feel about your job, but my job is to unite the city uh, as a leader. Not to get my agenda done. I, I think my agenda unites the city, but, but sometimes I have to do it a little bit faster, a little bit slower, to unite the city to make us feel better going forward. That's what ultimately makes us stronger, why philanthropists give more money, why we we are accepting of immigrants, why we come together better if we we act like a family. So what I'm insisting on is a discussion uh, by a task force about this issue, about what we should do and how people feel. So I'm in the process of appointing that. That'll be announced tomorrow. Uh, and as I said, I found my chairman, uh, uh, chairwoman uh, in, uh, to run this. And I think this will be a healthy process. I mean, it, it's gonna be some nervous meetings, okay? People are gonna sit there and wiggle. But that's what needs to happen. We need to have more civil discourse as opposed to just yelling and screaming at each other. And and these talking heads, which, by the way, you're a hell of a talking head, I just want to tell you. (laughs) You're good. good. you You got a great mayor. Uh, You know, know, we just watch people, and then we all get ginned up. We get on the line, and we say stuff. And and just face-to-face talking about this. So that's what I'm going to be pushing for, and and we're going to do over the next month. And then they're going to come down, and and we're going to kind of move on with life. The bigger issue, though. (laughs) Is <laughs> is still dealing with some of those these terrible uh, societal structural racial injustices that still exist in our city, and one of them is education. And I'm uh, you know I don't people don't like me at times, but I'll tell you this: there we need to change our education system. It is broken. It is built for the 17th century, or 18th century, from where it started in Prussia. And we are not, innovativeness, uh, we're not innovative enough uh, to help these kids that, that are really coming from tough situations. These kids almost need concierge tutors all through their lives. I mean, not all through their lives, but, you know, through, through a lot of things. And so what you're doing, kind of taking the whole child from early childhood all the way through, is, is the right approach. So I'm pushing for that, and that's where... I get most excited about with these civil rights issues because I think education is a civil rights issue of the 21st century. We haven't woken up to it, but if you just look at the math, you, you see why we have this economic divide and this racial divide, and it's really bec-
2: it's the core issue is the lack of education. No doubt about that. Okay, so I'll, let's open up the floor here, some questions for the mayor. want you to identify yourself. Okay. And do, do you need to talk into a mic here for the yeah. podcast? Okay. Yeah. Mr. Doug Hamilton. Behind you there.
3: Doug Hamilton, Chief of Public Services. I was curious your lessons learned from being the czar of homelessness. Um, first of all, if you uh, have 100 homeless people in this room, there are 100 different stories. So you, we try to simplify for str- strategic purposes, but it's a very human issue and uh, it, it surprises everybody the closer you get to it about why they ended up homeless. Um, second is if there was ever a situation that could be that we, we um, kind of hurt our own self, it, let me put it this way. A situation that is so solvable, but yet we can't organize to solve it. It is this. I mean, in Dallas, we had, when I left, we had 500 chronic homeless. Maybe we're 800, 900 now, 1,000 people, okay? That's really not that many people, okay, when you think of it. We've got a couple of thousand that are transitional homeless. But let's just, we've, uh, the experts will tell you it's the chronic homeless that really are the ones that are hurting themselves the most and the the city. We got a thousand Sunday school classes in in Dallas, okay? We got a thousand, I mean, we could solve this problem like this and and it doesn't cost too much to have a thousand housing units. But it's on the, the tail end of everybody's agenda and we never have gotten together and done a shock and awe on homelessness, and really taken this over the top. Um, and I'm I'm really disappointed in in our city and how we've not made better and more progress. So we've just organized. You talked about city county. We've had we had to create a it was a big political issue because this is a county issue as well. We created a. Uh, inter- local government corporation uh, uh, agreement uh, to, to make it a one unit to kind of deal with this issue and then work with our feds and the last thing is data data is everything and we are still uh, shame on us because of, of uh, nonprofit politics still do not have one data system to track each of these individuals and so much of this we talked about this at dinner last night is really getting the the metrics in place, tracking those individuals, and making sure we've got the people to intersect with it. So that's my two minutes of uh, my homeless experience.
0: Good morning, Mayor Rollins. My name is Scott Love, I'm economic development manager. Through a webinar with National League of Cities, I heard about a program in Dallas called Dallas Brain, where you've taken your economic development department and matched it up through your uh, library system curious to know how that delivery system is working, particularly in your urban core areas? Uh,
3: I think okay, but it really the key to so much of this stuff is scaling. And we have underfunded that. Um, uh, and, and I still and I think it's a good system. I, I think it's a, it's a good program. It's just a little passive, okay? It's, it, it means you've got to educate people that we've got that capability, they've got to come into the, the library system, they've got to get them online, we've got to get them, I mean, it's a clumsy sort of uh, process. Um, and so what we're gonna be doing is, we've, we've got a, a new economic development group there, and we're gonna take that and try to supersize it, put it on steroids and, and make it a little bit more um, interactive. Okay. I mean, we can do so many. One of my issues in the public sector, not just public, but the nonprofit sector, is there are so many good programs. Okay? We talked about Bob Rowling, who's the CEO of Omni, and he funds a great program um, in Dallas where he uh, gets um, uh, people trained for workforce, and it's a pretty intense program, and he was so proud that you know, he had these 70 men go through that program. Yep. And I said, Bob, that is great, okay? Now can we kind of take that to 700 and 1,000? Because that's what I need. Yep. I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to be critical of 70, but there's so many nonprofits doing things and so many uh, programs and kind of, uh, we need had some M&A activity in, the, in, in all this and we gotta focus it. And, and pull it uh, in, in kind of one place.
2: Quick comment, Omni, good partner for our city?
3: I'll tell you, I, you're so fortunate to, to be able to convince them. I mean, it says a lot about you and the city um, because Bob's a very smart business guy. He's not gonna spend that sort of money if he didn't see the growth of this city. Um, and the great news about uh, Omni is it's a private uh, uh, company so it's, it's run more like a family and their managers stay around a long time, and he will invest uh, more than he probably should invest, b- more than you and I probably would invest in stuff because he's got the capital and he's in it for the long haul. He's not in for the next quarter, mm-hmm. and so then they do it right. We had—I um, was telling Greg one of our seminal moments was a, a vote to have a convention hotel, uh, and it was uh, the problem was it was done right in the middle of the Great Recession in 2008. We, the citizens passed it just by the hair of the chinny-chin-chin, chin, if you will, and we built it. And, and uh, basically, the city owns the hotel. And one could argue cities should not get into the owning hotels. And I got it. I understand it. But we weren't going to move ahead if somebody didn't take the lead. We took that lead. We chose Omni to run it and now they're partners and they've uh, it's been a remarkable thing not only for them not only for the city but for all the hoteliers in, in the city the the rising tide and we've got i think we've got 20 hotels in the downtown area going up perfect
1: allison smith office of advanced planning i understand the last few years dallas has made great strides in improving the relationship between the community and the police department Can you talk about the community-oriented policing strategies that you've used and how that affected your ability to get through what happened last July? Well, it had
3: everything to do with it. I mean, uh, that is um, the—you never know what's going to happen when all the lights are turned on real bright, okay? You don't know what's in the corners and what's going to come out, and trust me, every light in the world was shine on us. And when they started looking, they found that out. And I was aware it was going on, I was participant uh, of some of those meet the chief things at high schools, and, and we were, I didn't appreciate the the depth of what that had uh, done. I mean, uh, in, in the community. Uh, grab the New York Times this Sunday, you can see, uh, from a training perspective of what we have been doing. It, it the, the title of the article is What Would an Ethical Officer Do? And it talks about training police officers from the ground up and then spending the time there. Now, there's a strategic issue. And Chief, I'm I'm I don't want to go from preaching to meddling here, so I'm I'm you'll do whatever you think's right. But Chief Brown really decided to get people from behind desk jobs out into in the community and put them in squad cars and be patrolling. Um, and that was a big issue with our police associations. They did not like that whole thing, okay, because it upset there their jobs, they, you know, you create a life and you know how you do it, and all of a sudden there was a reorg in town and it was like, wait a minute, I didn't get a vote on this, and so, we it was a major brouhaha. The police associations came after Chief Brown wanted him fired uh, about six months before that, and I just said uh, no, we're not going to do that. Okay, <laughs> um, and and uh, really, uh, I'm so glad I didn't because he was the just the perfect person uh, in that. Plus, he had he had. Been come from one of those communities. He was born in one of those communities, was raised in Dallas, so he knew this city like the back of his hand. So it, it, it was a, he, he spoke from where he came, um, and he understood the mistrust. He, he, he worshiped in those churches, and people understood that. And I spent a lot of my time in churches, just a tremendous amount of my time in churches, just to sit there. And people go, OK. There's somebody that kind of is, is on our side of things. Those little things make a difference. The amount of money we spend in police athletic leagues, okay, uh, that is kind of come back to pay off. And everybody was saying that's soft money. It's not, it's hard money because anytime you've got police officers working in a non confrontational manner in that community is key. And that's one of the reasons I'm worried about this whole xenophobic. Uh, immigration strategy we have because the point is we need to be closer together not not you know further apart and it's more dangerous for our police officers and the like but thank you for
2: asking well mary been uh okay one more question here yes sure. good morning mayor my name is john miles and i'm with the office for veterans the yes. louisville metro government
3: and just going back to what you talked about, the issue of homelessness, what does the city of Dallas do as far as combating veteran homelessness um, in Dallas? And also, how do you go about connecting veterans with resources, services, and employment? We have a a large VA hospital uh, in Dallas, one of the largest, um, and they uh, have a major homeless initiative going on. But I will give us a failing grade on this. The president asked us to end veteran homelessness in a a, a period of time, and I think we got there halfway. There's no reason we shouldn't have gotten there, and it was because of lack of organization, what I was saying. We had the VA over here, we had the city thinking it was the county's job, and the, the, the nonprofits were not tracking people right, so it was a lack of organization and accountability. And because of that issue, we've changed things out uh, tremendously because there's no veteran that shouldn't be, shouldn't be given a housing unit. We should, be able to, we should be able to get them off the street, and it's one of the real disappointments that I've had. Of course, we end on something I screwed up.
2: (laughs) 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 I'll try to lift it up from there. uh, You've seen just tremendous growth in the Dallas-Fort Worth area over the last couple of decades. Your airport, DFW, has just been such an incredible uh, contributor to that. And the relationship between Louisville and Dallas is very tight, obviously, with Yum! Brands as well. So Dallas is one of our great American cities. You're one of our great American leaders. We Thank appreciate you, you spending Thank time with us here today. Mike Thank Rawlings. You. Thank you.
0: Louisville Mayor Greg Fisher talking with Mike Rawlings, the mayor of Dallas, Texas. Thanks to Mayor Rawlings for stopping by. Thank you for listening to the Mayor Greg Fisher podcast. You can subscribe, which we heartily endorse, through iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and more. You can also keep up with the mayor. It's no easy task. He's in constant motion, but he's available on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm Graham Shelby.